Hi, guys. Welcome back to my show, Steps to Sobriety. I've got a wonderful, wonderful guest with me. I've got uh, Tiffany Patlan with me. Tiffany is a self-healing expert. And we all know at the moment, 2020 and 2021 is a year where really a lot of things have gone wrong. I don't know a single person who has been unscathed either by COVID, the flow and effects of it, or other completely unrelated shit that hit their life in a way where you have to say, bloody hell, really? And I'm sure down the line, we will no longer say, what the fuck? We will say, what the 2020? Um, So (laughs) I think that's pretty given. So therefore, we need to focus on healing. We need to focus on doing something. And and often enough, as in actually all recoveries, regardless of mental health or addiction, taking action is such an important bit. It's the, the crucial core thing that will assure you that you will get better. But sometimes just taking action and you need to know in which direction. And for that, I have got Tiffany here with me today. Thank you so much for coming on to my show. Thank you so much for having me. Mm. I'm so grateful for this opportunity to share my story with the world. Mm. Tiffany, you're a self-healing expert. And it is, I mean, it took me eight years after my breakdown uh, to really get my shit together. And um and it's still a, a, a progress. Uh, it's still a journey. And I love it for what it is, because every day I get to be a little bit better. And so for me, it's wonderful. Yes. Well, exactly. That's how I look at it. I'm certainly never perfect. I'm perfectly imperfect. Um, but, <laughs> but I'm, yeah, I'm working on it. So my story is eight years uh, in the making my my recovery and my downfall oh, was 10 20 25 years in the making um so that's cool so i can talk for hours about that but you're my guest so you're in the hot seat what <laughs> what what made you the expert in other words what was your dark night of the soul well i've actually been on my self-healing journey for the past 12 years and i didn't even realize it um, but what got me started is just really experiencing a lifetime of trauma I didn't even realize that um, my trauma started as far back as I can remember. Um, And I didn't even realize that until I was writing my book, that I was raised in a toxic environment. Um, My mother, I believe, is mentally ill, suffers from mental illness, and it's never been diagnosed. She's not someone to go seek help. But I can recognize those characteristics in her after I've gone through so much healing in myself. And... You know, as children, we're meant to grow up happy, healthy, bubbly, learning that your voice matters, that you deserve to be heard, uh, developing that self-love, self-worth, encouragement. Um, But I didn't get any of that, you know. So I grew up with my older brother. He's about a year and a half older than me. He has a different father. And I believe my mother told him at too young of an age uh, that truth, which in my mind, he did not know how to process that being so young. So if you can imagine, there was a lot of anger from that and confusion, which I took the brunt of because I was the sister, you know, I'm the one that's closest to you. And that's usually what happens 
when you experience trauma or anger or you're going through something, you tend to take it out, even on the people that you love, you take it out on those people that you're closest to. And that's what happened with me. So it was really rough, you know, growing up that way. Um, didn't have a really solid relationship with my mother, you know, as a daughter should. And so that led to me self-mutilating by the time I was at age 11. I didn't even know what that was. I just knew that the pain that was inside of me was so severe that I needed to release it. And again, I didn't have any help. I didn't have any guidance. I don't think my parents really knew what to do, what even mental illness was. Uh, they just they just didn't know. And, and what I've learned is that we all do the best that we can with the knowledge that we have at the time. And knowing that has actually made it so much easier for me to forgive my parents. I like to say, my parents taught me a lot of what not to do. <laughs> and so after experiencing bouts of self-mutilation, I, that was my go-to. And that became my go-to because I ended up picking up traumatic experience after traumatic experience. So at 11, it started. Come age 12, I was starting to be bullied in school. And that was because I wore glasses. Back then they were brutal, you know, making fun of people. Now people wear frames without the lenses and that's like a fashion statement. It's so crazy when you look back and see that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, my mother, um, I wasn't allowed to pick my own clothes. My mother did that for me. Um, so I was just messed with a lot. I wasn't allowed to wear makeup like the other girls. So I don't know, I guess it was, I just became a target. So I carried that with me. Then I, um, at, at 12 years old, my parents sent us to more like 12 going on 13. My parents sent us to Texas, me and my brother to go visit family. And that's when I was, um, incestuously raped by my 23 year old cousin. And I didn't say anything because I didn't know any better. I didn't know what to do. I learned that what I suffered from was, is called tonic immobility. It's when your body goes into a state of shock and fear and you, it's almost like playing dead, like a possum. And so since that's how my response was, that carried with me throughout, which kind of left me more vulnerable to abuse. Um, people would be in the room and I couldn't scream out. I just didn't have that ability, that power. You're just like paralyzed. That's how it felt. So I didn't say anything. I asked to go to my, this was on my mother's side of the family and I didn't want to be there anymore, if you can imagine. So I asked to go to my grandfather's uh, um, house, which is on my father's side of the family. And that's when I was molested by one of my uncles. So by this time, I'm like, what in the world is going on? Why is this happening to me? Uh, the only difference was that my parents were not with us this trip. That was the only difference. Um, granted, I might have, might have been a little older, perhaps my body looked a little different, but that still doesn't give the right for somebody to sexually abuse you, especially when you're underage. These were grown men and they knew better. Um, my uncle happened to come into the living room where I was sitting with my cousin and he makes a statement and he says, what's the matter with you? You look like you've seen a ghost. And that's when I realized that I, my face must have looked so fearful and I knew I needed to speak up. So I went and told my grandfather what he did. He did the best he could. He went and told my grandmother and I had to repeat the story. And as you know, when people experience sexual abuse, it's so hard to speak up, number one. 
but then to speak up again and again and again, it's really hard. And actually the night that it happened, I actually went to one of my aunts that lived upstairs in that house. And I told her what happened and she kind of blamed me for it. Uh, She kind of made a statement along the lines of like, well, you shouldn't be staying up late at night. You know, you need to go to bed. And then that's when that happened the next morning when he walked in. So I'm grateful that I had that push to speak up and say something again after I was, in a sense, shut down. So I'm having to repeat it to my grandfather, having to repeat it to my grandmother. And then they bring him into the room and I have to repeat it a third time or technically a fourth time. I, it was very watered down. I just said, oh, you were touching me and stuff. And he reached over to touch my arm to apologize. And I remember like thinking to myself, don't touch me. (laughs) You know, I just feel so uncomfortable. But in a sense, these men got away with it. Nothing was ever done. To my knowledge, nothing was ever done. Nobody was put in jail. I don't even think my parents were aware. And so we come back to Vegas and my parents had moved us into a new apartment and I started school. And I remember being so full of anger because I had already picked up so many experiences and had not sought help. So I had suppressed all of these emotions from all of these events that had occurred. So I'm just being what I call a collector. I'm just collecting traumatic event after traumatic event. Um, starting in eighth grade, I, you could say I became the bully. I started fighting back. If girls were talking to my boyfriend, I used that as, as an excuse to go you know, mess with them or fight them. Um, and I just came up with any reason. I justified it. And I know now that it was because I was full of so much hurt and anger inside that when that door opened of anger, it all came flooding out. And I feel so sorry that I hurt those girls. Um, I even put an apology in my book because if any one of them were to ever pick up my book I want, and they know who I am, I want them to know that I acknowledge the wrongs that I did and that this is a way of me making it right. Um, whether I have verbally said it to them or not, I know in my heart of hearts that I did something wrong and I'm making it right. Um, And I'm thankful that I acknowledged that and I had the opportunity to do that. Around this time, there was a lot of things that happened. I was still getting kicked out of my house to the point where I would wear a bikini as bra and underwear. So that way I could sleep in the community jacuzzi and I would sleep there with my head, you know, outside on the, um, pavement while my whole body was submerged because it was cold outside. So I had to get creative. I would go to the store, steal a toothbrush and toothpaste. I know it's not, it's wrong to steal, but I was in survival mode and I would use that to brush my teeth using the sprinkler heads because I'm just roaming around. I have nowhere to go. So I'm doing my best to take care of myself, but, and I wouldn't ride the bus to go to school because I hadn't showered. I didn't have clean clothes. So I felt really uncomfortable. So I missed a lot of school. And there would be people that lived in the neighborhood who would see me and I would find solace in their houses where I would be sexually abused. I would be exposed to drugs. I would be exposed to alcohol. So I partook in all of that. And again, by this time, nobody's saying anything. I'm still cutting myself. I remember there was a time where I showed up to my eighth grade class and I had a wrap wrapped around my arm because I had so many cuts and they were bleeding. I never did peroxide. I never washed them out. I didn't know any better. I would just cut myself, let myself bleed and then hide it. I'm thankful I never got a really bad infection. Um, But then I remember a teacher saw me and she questioned it. 
She's like, what happened to your arm? And I don't remember what I said, but I know that I lied. And I could tell from the look on her face, it was like, she didn't believe me, but she, to my knowledge, she never called my home and she never said anything after that. And I continued to show up with that wrap around my arm because there was always new cuts. Um, and I liked, I look back and I think if she were to have tried a little harder, maybe just maybe I would have been saved back then. But then I try not to think that way because I do believe that things happen for a reason. And I do believe that everything that happened to me happened not to me, but for me. And around this time was also when my parents were in the middle of divorce. This was also around the time when I was attempting to have a relationship with my mother. So I purchased concert tickets. My father drops her and I off. And the next thing I know, you know, we're at the concert. I'm drinking, I'm smoking cigarettes. I'm drinking beer. And mind you, my mother's there. She's my guardian, but I'm able to do this. And when we leave, instead of going home with my father, I'm following my mom inside a truck with two strange men. Okay. Then we go to some casino. Couldn't tell you what it was. Um, she was with that guy. This 32-year-old man was with me. And I remember he gave me a pill. And mind you, I grew up respecting your elders. Um, you're not allowed to question me. You know, shut up and do what you're told. So I took that to heart. And I think that just followed me. So this guy gave me a pill and I took it. Uh, the next thing I remember, we're back at their house. I remember seeing my mother laying on that man's bed and they're fully clothed, but they're just laying on the bed talking like if I'm not even there and I'm just standing there. I don't know where the other guy went, but I'm just thinking, I don't know what to do with myself. I don't know if I'm supposed to speak. I don't know if I should be here. Like, I had no idea. You know, when you're that age, you're looking to your parents for direction. They're your role models. And I didn't know what to do. So I mocked my mother. I went and I around to the other side of that guy and I laid on the bed to mock her. And that's when the other gentleman, the 32-year-old man that um, I guess you could say I was with, he showed a pipe of weed in the doorway to lure me out into his room, which he did. And I don't remember what happened after that. But I remember my mother would continue to take me to go see them. I guess she was visiting him and she would bring me with her to go visit him. It was strange because there was a time when my mom was a good mom. She took care of me. She made sure we brushed our teeth, that we were clean, like we went to school, we did our homework. And I, I really believe it had something to do with my parents during that divorce. Something happened and something switched. It was almost like she was no longer my mother. She was more like of a, a sister figure. It was really strange. Um, so there was that. I even remember playing house with this man and his two twins. And I remember having a lot of guilt with not speaking up about it back then because I don't know if he he would have done anything to them. I mean, can't really put it past him. He did something to me. So I, I don't, I don't know. And again, I try not to think about that, but that is why it's important to speak up. Um, you know, looking back, I do wish I were to have spoke up, but when I did the first time and I was treated that way. And then the second time, you know, there was really nothing done, just a slap on the wrist. It's like, what's the point? And I got to that point, I believe, where it's just like, there's no sense in telling anybody, nobody going to do anything about it. I'm just going to be there so uncomfortable speaking and reliving it. So what is the point? So I just stopped talking and I just stopped saying anything. It almost confirmed that lie in my head that 
nobody cared about me. Nobody cared about what happened to me. Nobody cared about what I had to say. My voice did not matter. But that's not true. And I know that now. And that's actually why I'm using my voice to speak up because I want to be the voice for those that cannot speak up right now because I understand how hard that is. So after the age of 14, I just remember my parents, we were living in different apartments. Um, my mother tried to get us a budget suite. It's like one of those little small furnished studios. We lived, I lived there briefly. Um, my older brother would torment me, bully me. My mother would call the cops on me at every opportunity if I reacted, acted out. And the cops never believed anything I said. I was always a problem child and I was always put in jail. I was always in juvie. I would be left there for three days at a time. And that was, I guess, their limit. And they would uh, come into the little jail cell and they would tell me that we're going to threaten your parents with neglect because they're not answering the phone. And I'm just sitting there thinking like, okay, why are you telling me that? Do what you have to do. Like, it's, it's not my choice to be roaming the streets. It's not my choice to be doing any of the things I'm doing. I'm just a young girl trying to survive. And I don't have any parental guidance, let alone anybody that understands what I'm going through to help me. So, and there was another time where I was picked up and one of the ladies actually came in to the jail cell and told me because she couldn't get a hold of my parents because they would never answer the phone. They deliberately would like dodge those phone calls. Like they didn't want to have anything to do with me. At least that's how I took it. And this lady comes in and tells me, how come nobody cares about you? And I'm like, I wish I knew, you know, and if that didn't just confirm that lie that I had already created in my head, you know, she shouldn't have said that. So that was my life for years. Um, just being out on the street, struggling, trying to go to school. I started to work at 14 with a working permit. It only cost a dollar and I was able to do that. So I did that, got a job working at a, a pretzel place. Uh, where I was fired from because I didn't care about customer service. I didn't care about the business. All I cared about was being able to shove pretzels in my mouth at every opportunity because I was starving. I was so hungry. So I eventually got fired from there. Um, you know, and that was just me trying to find job after job, trying to make my own way so that way I can afford a place to live because I hated being out in the street because I was always open and exposed to people that would abuse me. It's like if somebody befriend, befriended me, they would take me to their house. We would do drugs, drink, whatever. And then, oh, guess what? It's payment time. And they would have their way with me. And if you remember from the beginning, my body would just go into that tonic immobility, which again, made it easier for people to abuse me. I mean, there would be times where I knew there were other people in the house and all I had to do was scream out. And for the life of me, I could not do it. I would be laying there and tears would be rolling down my eyes because with all my heart, I just wanted it to stop. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. So I tried to go back to school for my freshman year, but I was kicked out before the nine weeks ended because I got into a fight, which is not something that I had done. There was rumors going around. Uh, they wanted to see who would win in a fight between me because I had a reputation from fighting before. And this other lady who I guess wanted to develop her own reputation to be a fighter and they wanted to see who'd win out of us too. So they started trash talking and I got out of it once. I didn't want to fight this girl. This girl was like about three or four times bigger than me. I did not want to fight her. I was scared. You know, that's not what I wanted to do. She confronted me and I had no choice. It was either turn my back to her and 
you know, have my ass handed to me and who knows what I'm going to look like. I'm going to get all messed up or be put in the hospital or do what I have to do. And that's what I did. I remember pretending to turn around to go to the bathroom like she wanted me to. And I turned back around as fast as I could. And I just started wailing on her as fast and as hard as I could, because I felt like right, another survival moment, which got me kicked out. Then I had to attend, you know, alternative schools for my sophomore year. And I wouldn't go because I didn't like it. You know, the, the one that they sent me to as a freshman, they treated me like I was unintelligent. The math work that they gave us was like for that you learn in like third grade. It was insulting. Uh, the other the other place that they had me attend for my sophomore year, there were metal detectors. Like it was really uncomfortable. And that I was starting to hang out with the wrong crowd, still doing drugs, still drinking any opportunity that it was there. I partook because it was like normal. It was like, that was the thing to do. So just constantly on the street. So, so much of that happened in and out of toxic relationships, trying to find a job, working two jobs, um, and still just being in and out of these horrific relationships to the point where one of them, I ended up actually getting pregnant and I was actually happy, giddy. Oh, yay! I'm pregnant. I'm going to have my own little baby. And then I miscarried. And I feel like that taught me such an important lesson. I feel like it taught me, hey, Tiffany, you can get pregnant. If you are not careful, you will get pregnant. Do you really want to have a baby with this guy? And I started what I like to call having that maternal mindset. And I started looking at this man differently. And I was like, and it was almost like a sense of relief that I had escaped that. But then he forcefully impregnated me three more times after that. And it was forced. Um, I would try to get him off me and he wouldn't. How I, was, uh, how I allowed him to do that to me three times, I, I, I do understand why. It's because I was so mentally ill. I was so used to all this stuff. So even though I knew in my mind I, he wasn't going to be a good father, I still hadn't developed the strength and power to know that I should leave this person and never allow him back in my life ever again. That just goes to show you how mentally ill I was. And again, he, I was trusting him and he did that to me three times and I opted for abortions. I didn't know any better. I didn't know what an abortion really was. I didn't know the procedure. I didn't know any of that. And I talk about that in my book in great detail, because I believe every woman deserves to know what really happens when you decide to have an abortion. And if you are fully informed and you decide to proceed, that is your choice. That is your decision. But it was just important to me to put that knowledge in that book, um, because if I were to have known back then, I don't think I would have done it. But where would I have been? So I try to focus more on that that experience happened to me and that I am meant to share my experience and help other people, other women become more informed. So after that, let's see, maybe about 2003, 2004, I met what I thought was the love of my life. Um, thought finally, you know, there's a boy that's my, around my age. He's very nice. He's not abusive. Um, but I was still very, mentally ill. So we ended up separating. I went on a crazy drinking binge because I just couldn't handle that pain. Mind you, I had still been carrying all of this trauma, all of the 20 plus years of trauma that I had already been carrying. So I couldn't handle this. Like it tore my, it tore my world upside down. Uh, went on this crazy drinking binge became very promiscuous. Um, and the next thing you know, I end up pregnant 2006. I find out I'm pregnant. 
Uh, as shameful as it is, I did not know who the father was. It could have been out of three people. My ex, the one that was the love of my life, the new guy I was dating, or this other guy that I had been dating. He had a vasectomy, checked his sperm count. He wasn't the father. The other guy wanted to um, marry me. And I was like, yeah, no, I, I, I didn't want to do that. And I don't know if because I didn't want to, they chose not to be a part of the baby's life or what have you. But I felt like, you know what? I attempted to do the right thing. I reached out if that's that. I'm not going to continue to try to reach out and harass you. I knew because I had promised myself after I had those three abortions, I promised myself that I was going to be more careful and I was going to make sure I didn't get pregnant. And if I did, I was going to go above and beyond to be the best mother that I could be. And that's what I did. I started going to school. I got my associates in computer-aided drafting and design. I proceeded to get my bachelor's in construction management, which is where I met my now husband. And something important I learned there was that when you're holding on to a lot of trauma inside, you naturally attract another person that has a lot of trauma inside. So, yeah. Yeah. I love my husband, but uh, when we first got together, we were both holding on to so much trauma that we had never healed. And we didn't know that we were drinking. We would partake in drugs to, you know, numb ourselves. We didn't know. We didn't understand. Um, you know, we were both striving for better. You know, that's why we were both in school. So I thought I hit the jackpot. Here's a good looking guy that's going to school. He's got his stuff together. Oh my gosh, this is great. Yeah. And then I find out <laughs> he has all this, you know, drama, which I did too. Um, let's see, we ended up pursuing school. Um, we both got um, our master's in uh, business administration as well as project management. So we both have a dual master's degree. Uh, we both had that drive to be better and to break those chains. Uh, he became my son's father and we ended up having uh, getting into a bad car accident or he did. And that pretty much drove us to move from Vegas to California to go stay with his mom while he recovered the serious injuries from that car accident. And this was in 2008, right when um, everyone was getting laid off. And so I said, okay. And I remember growing up in Vegas and well, when we were living in Vegas, he actually asked me at one point if I would ever leave Vegas. And I remember having this attitude, like, that's so dumb. Why would I ever leave Vegas? All my family's here. Did it, did it, did I'm never going to leave Vegas. And when that accident happened and he asked me if I wanted to move with him to California, like I was like, yes, you know, like I just, I went and I'm so grateful that even though that accident was like horrific, it was really bad traumatic for him as well as I, it moved us to California, which is a, which was a safer more family-oriented place to live than Las Vegas. Las Vegas is sex, drugs, and alcohol 24-7. And I knew that because I learned the tricks, the trade. I knew that if there was carding at the door, have the people I'm with go get me a beer. So when I walk up, I have a beer in my hand. That's my ID. They wouldn't card me. I learned all these little tricks. Oh, if you get into that place before 10 o'clock when it turns into a club, you're in, so you're good. Like, they don't start carding. Like, I learned all these tricks being in Vegas and being out in the streets. And I just did not want that for my children. So living in California seemed very, very promising. And that is when, and fast forward to about 2015, I ended up having my second baby. 
Uh, his name is Izel. And then I tried to start a, a business for myself because I had been working in a job that was in alignment with the degrees that I had, but I still believe that I was mistreated in the workplace. And if I had a voice to protect myself, then I probably would have done something about it, but I didn't know any better. So I dealt with a lot of stress, a lot of crying, a lot of heartache. So after my baby was born, I decided not to go back. Um, in a strange way, I was protecting my mental health, I guess you could say, but I didn't even realize it then. And then I had my second baby in um, 2017. So I'm thinking life is great. I have this herbal potions business where I create, you know, organic soaps and uh, lip balms and things like that, because I had been on a self-healing journey that I was completely unaware of. I had stumbled on a documentary called Food Inc. And I was floored by the information that I heard. And I wanted to prove that documentary wrong. I went to my pantry, started reading the ingredients, started researching, and I was just shocked beyond belief. I started learning about the benefits of eating organic. I started learning about uh, the toxic products in our hygiene and home products. I started learning about all this stuff. So I did a huge overhaul, huge change, which took a few years because that's so much information. And again, I didn't even realize I was on this self-healing journey, but you're, that's part of your physical health, you know, your nutrition. And it comes in two parts, which is also your fitness, because body movement is important. So that way you don't promote disease. A stagnant body will promote disease. So that was something else I had learned to do was to get my body back into a fit shape. I learned how to work out. And the next thing that happened after that, there was an episode between me and my husband where he kind of let me have it. He was telling me all these things about the way that I was. And I remember thinking to myself, if everything he's saying is true, I don't want to be like that. And that helped me to go seek help. So it was the first time that I actively reached out to go get help for myself. And it was good to talk to this woman, but I can't really say that I got any healing or really got anything from it. And I stopped going because we had moved. And then later on, my husband and I saw a counselor together, but that I think was more as a couple thing, it wasn't really individualized for us to dive in and deep into what we were doing. And we also weren't there that long. You know, California is expensive. So we ended up squeezing into a one bedroom apartment so we can afford to move out. And that's how we ended up in Utah. So I'm thinking life is great. We moved to Utah. We bought our first house. You know, I have three kids. I'm married. Life is great. Well, it really wasn't. And that is because I was still carrying all of this trauma inside and it started to come out. Uh, 2019, I had a bout of depression that winter and I thought I had escaped it. I really did. Uh, but then I started noticing that I wanted to stay in bed. I just started thinking to myself, what's the point? My husband and I were having a strained relationship. He quit his job. We were having a financial strain. We did not, we didn't have the ability to handle that kind of stuff, not with everything we were already carrying. So, you know, there were fights. It was really strained. And then I remember my little ones coming into the room asking, why is mommy laying in bed? And that spoke mountains to me. And I knew it. I said, you know what? I cannot do this. I need to be a better mother to my children than mine was to me. I cannot do this to my kids. They deserve better. 
I didn't know what to do. I really didn't. I just got up and went on a massive quest, started researching anything and everything I could. And what got me were those three words, mind, body, and soul. And I said, fine. Okay. Every day I'm going to do something for my mental health, my physical health, and my spirituality. And that's where my personal philosophy came from because I started doing that and I started noticing a difference. Everything in my life changed. It was almost like someone turned on the light for me. Doors of opportunity started to open for me. And it was such an amazing experience. I had the opportunity to face my fear um, because I had suffered from debilitating anxiety disorder. I would cry just trying to get out of my car to go pump gas. I would cry if I went to the gym and a man got on a machine next to me. I would cry if I had to go to a new place and I, I would be so full of fear. I would have to, a crying episode and I would have to gather the strength and the courage to get out of the car to go to this new place. It was really bad. And um, I had to go sell as a vendor with my other business, Cosmic Sweets, which I created because I believe you shouldn't have to sacrifice nutrition just to enjoy a sweet treat. And that business has been successful. And it's what brought me to the female entrepreneur conference that I went to in January or February of 2019. Because this was right after I started working on myself, my self-healing journey. So I've already done the physical health. I've already started working on my mental health, um, which is facing that anxiety. And I realized that on the other side of my anxiety disorder were opportunities. Because had I not fought through that, there's no way I would have been able to go to this conference that was an hour north in Utah. I would have to go by myself, drive in the snow. These are all triggers for my anxiety disorder. And I had the courage and the ability to go do it because I had already been successful, you know, prior to facing my fear to develop that cosmic sweets business and go and vendor and sell, uh, you know, to make money because we were in a financial strain. So it's so crazy how these Things lined up perfectly for me. I Again, I believe things happen for a reason. So at this event, again, had I not gone, at this event, this is where I met my book coach, Christine Gale. Mind you, I couldn't even afford her program, but she made a way where there was no way. And because of her, and I truly believe God played a part in this, I was able to write, you know, my book, my, and I am now a best-selling author of the book, Unlocking Your Ability to Heal. And it shows my life story. It shares my life story um, in more detail about everything that I've gone through. And I wanted to write that to inspire people and to resonate with my experiences because I, as unfortunate as it is, I know a lot of people have experienced a lot of what I have. So I want to be able to relate to people. And I also have statistical information weaved throughout and I also have exercises in there that I have personally used that worked wonders for me. So I wanted to include that. So anybody else that could resonate with any chapter could practice that exercise. And because of my philosophy, um, focusing daily on your mental, physical, and spiritual health, I created a wellness section in the back. And that's for anybody to pick up the book and choose anything from each key area to focus and I like to call it my trifecta because I, you know, I focus on three things. So what I like to do now is I go outside in the morning and that is like the most simplest and cheapest thing to do to connect spiritually. And for physical health, I run, I do a jog. 
And since you're outside connected spiritually, your vibration is so high. And what better time than to state some affirmations, which support your mental health. So I'm running, I'm enjoying the sun. I feel high on life and I'm just having an attitude of gratitude, stating affirmations that I'm so grateful, you know, for my healing. I'm so grateful that I'm happy, healthy, and whole. I'm grateful that my children are supernaturally protected and free from all harm. I, you know, state any affirmations that I feel or that I need to say that day. And by the end of this, I'm, I feel like I can accomplish anything. And the days that I don't do that, I start to feel that heaviness, that lowness. And that's where my philosophy comes from. And then with all the research, there's so much research out there that talks about how focusing on your mental health and your physical health matters because they're interconnected. And there's actually even research that talks about how your spirituality matters. Um, I wanted to share something about how there's actually peer-reviewed journals that show correlations between spirituality and suicide attempts. Um, actual suicides and the attitude towards suicide, which are consistent with peer reviews found for depression, self-esteem, and hope. So those who are depressed without hope and with low self-esteem are at a greater risk for committing suicide. So, and this is from the Association of American Medical Colleges. So there's so much information out there that is not widely taught that those three things really are interconnected. I mean, there's foods that can help support you mentally. Uh, for example, blueberries. Blueberries um, will help you heal your anxiety disorder. Um, but it's you can't just eat a bowl of blueberries and think, oh, I'm gonna get better. You know, it's, it's more complex than that. But I'm just giving examples that how it's really all interconnected. And like I mentioned before, a stagnant body will promote disease. Um, you also can find issues in the tissues. So it's so important to make sure that you focus on those areas. And something that I noticed is that when you start self-healing and practicing those three key areas for yourself, um, you will start having memories resurface. And what those are are suppressed emotions that you have never honored or conquered or healed or released. So when those come up for you, naturally, we want to numb ourselves or distract ourselves, pretty much not pay attention to it. But that is a missed opportunity. Our, your body is cluing you in, letting you know, hey, do you remember this? Um, it's not saying, hey, do you remember this? I'm messing with you. You know, let's relive this. What it's doing, what your body is doing, your subconscious is trying to tell you, hey, this is inside of you still. Can you please get rid of it? Like, let's purge. Your body is asking you to purge. So when you have those memories surface, don't dismiss it, handle it, take care of it. There's uh, release rituals that you can do. There's so many different things that you can do to, to take care of that. Because once you release that from your body, you will end up feeling more free, more light inside. Um, because I never knew that trauma was so heavy until I did a release ritual to get rid of all of the issues that I had with my mother. And the next day after I did that ritual, it almost felt like, like if somebody did a surgery right here in my, my heart and removed it, it felt weird. It felt different. Uh, but the next day I woke up and I felt completely different. I can now easily say that I love my mother and I miss my mother, uh, but I had to set a healthy boundary there 
because she still has characteristics that I do not approve of when it comes to being around my children. So as hard as it was to do that, I knew it was the right thing to do. So I haven't had contact with her for a couple of years now. And, you know, as sad as it is, I realized that I don't have the power to change people, you know, and I know that firsthand because I did that. I spent a lot of years trying to change my husband <laughs> and I learned the hard way. It wasn't until I started started pouring all of my precious energy into me and my healing did everything around me start to change, including my husband. My healing, in a sense, I believe inspired him to start healing. He started acknowledging things in his own life for himself. He himself is on his own self-healing journey. And I am so grateful for that, you know, and I found in my new faith, I, you know, my creator, God, I had a problem saying God, I was hung up on the whole idea of Jesus Christ. I, I thought there's no such thing as a God, because if there is, how could he allow all this crap to happen to me? You know, I was really angry. I didn't want to use those, those words. I was like, no, I'm okay. I'm comfortable with using, talking about the universe and, and, and all this other stuff. And then things, episodes just continue to happen to me. So this is like my spirituality piece, the spirituality healing that I ended up experiencing where things would just happen. And I started acknowledging back in my story, which I didn't share. It's in my book. There was an appointment where I was, I have to share it because it's so, so, so beautiful. I was living with a cousin after after I was in a mental hospital, my parents sent me to go live with him and he incestuously raped me. But by living there, there was also a neighbor who I would hang out with. And I, he had a friend that came to pick me up telling me that his other, our mutual friend was going to go pick us up. I, you know, was very naive. I went and this is when I was really scared because I recognized this apartment. It was dark and it looked like somebody had just moved out and there was things, you know, littered all over the floor, like it was in desperate need of a vacuum. Um, and I had been in that apartment before, seen a lot of drugs, money, guns. So I was really scared the first time I was there. The second time I went there, I, I, I don't know what I was thinking, but I went inside and I shouldn't have. And I remember asking him for a phone. He spoke mostly Spanish. So he pointed to the phone, Jack told me he didn't have one because uh, back then they didn't have cell phones. It was all about pagers. And my cousin's wife had actually bought me a pager because I was going to be living there with them. And he takes me to the back room. He has his way with me. Thank goodness he lets me go. And I remember walking out, holding myself, like consoling myself. I was afraid to turn around and look back to see if he was watching me or following me. I was afraid to run because I didn't know if he was going to come tackle me and who knows what. I remember being so careful about how I walked away. And it was a linear street that led to a cul-de-sac. And the cul-de-sac is where my cousin's apartment was. And as I came closer, I saw a slew of cop cars. And my cousin's wife told me that they received a page of a series of ones. Uh, and that meant emergency or help. And but I'm not the one that sent that page. They assumed it was me. So, yeah. So when I was writing my book, this is when I realized it. And I started crying. Like I, I, I started crying because it hit me like a slap in the face. God has been with me the entire time. He never left me. 
even though these things were happening to me, I was still being protected. There's even another episode where this guy in a green Jeep picked me up off the street, took me to a friend's house. We partook in drugs and alcohol. He asked me to go for a drive. And then I see that he's driving me to the outskirts of Vegas. And, you know, living in Vegas, I've heard about the mafia, the dead bodies being buried in the desert. That was a thing. So this guy's driving me to the outskirts in the desert. I am so freaking scared. And I remember pretending like I was drunk and passed out. So I, that was like my safety. That was my way of saving myself. And he actually, um, he violently had his way with me and he could have kicked me out. He could have killed me. He could have buried me. There's so many bad things he could have done. I don't know what compelled him to take me back home. I'm telling you, that was God. So many things have happened in my life, especially like with having this opportunity to meet my book coach, um, not being able to afford it and her making a way where there was no way. There's just been so many things that have been happening to the point where I can no longer deny it. Uh, there's a song by Brandon Lake and it's called too good to not believe. And when I first heard that song, the first time I went to church after this, these spiritual breakthroughs, I was just crying because it's just like experience after experience that would just kept happening in front of me left and right to the point where I could no longer deny it. And now I have a strong faith. I finally believe in God. And I'm so grateful that he never gave up on me because he could have, you know, I mean, I know I should think that way because God loves us all. He doesn't, but that's how I felt. And I was recently baptized in June in La Jolla, California, when I went there for a um, author event. And it's just been one of the most beautiful experiences that I've had. And so I feel like that's been like the final piece of my experience, but we're never done healing. I think you mentioned something like that, you know, in the beginning, you know, we are imperfectly perfect. There is no such thing as perfect. Um, we are who we are meant to be. But when we experience painful traumatic events and we don't heal and we keep carrying them, we will continuously respond and react to everyday life events from that place of pain. That's why you see people who are excessively angry or violent or addicted to something or having so many problems. It's because they're carrying pain in their heart that they've never resolved. And we need to change that. You know, crying is a natural human response to releasing pain. Little boys are told not to cry. Men look at it as a weakness and it's not. Um, I hate that that was ever taught because our men are hurting because they feel like they cannot express themselves. They cannot show emotion, but that is our human right. And we're only hurting ourselves by not allowing ourselves to release our emotions. So I believe when we experience an event, no matter how painful or traumatic it is, that's important to you and it's unique to you. And you have to honor your emotions. And that looks different for everybody. For me, I allow myself to feel it in every way, shape and form, cry, ugly cry, scream into a pillow, as long as it's healthy, feel those emotions, let them out you know, because you don't deserve to keep them inside of you. You have to let them go. Um, so that's what I encourage everybody to do because everybody deserves to know what it feels like to live in the light. <laughs> <laughs> How is that? <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, Tiffany, this is the first interview where I didn't say a word in my oh. life. It is, and the reason is that I didn't have to guide you. I didn't have to prompt you. I didn't have to interject uh, a different point of view because you actually spoke literally out of my soul. Uh, it is, uh, that was an amazing interview um, for your honesty and for your openness. I need to be, I not need to be, I'm so humbled and so grateful because it's the same mission that I'm on to demystify mental illness, to spell it out, to actually say it is normal to not be okay. And we all have gone for trauma. Now, some of us, um, okay. And I thought I'm, I'm not bad with trauma. Uh, I've got a nice little list there. But you beat me. You beat me hands down. Okay. So well done. So this, <laughs> but this is not a pissing contest. Okay. So let's get that out there. And the problem, I love what you said, because every person has got his and her own trauma. And what, what is really, really, really traumatic and upsetting for one person, the other person is just saying, well, that's nothing. Um, or it doesn't, it doesn't affect me. So mm -hmm. Guys, it is it is your own journey is unique, yet the responses that your body try it tries to 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 do and 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 act out that is normal. Of course, if pain is all around you, you try to numb it. And that takes on the form of food, of alcohol, of drugs, of gambling, anything to escape reality. And yeah. that is what addiction is so powerful with, because for that little fleeting moment, suddenly you find that peace, you find that happiness, the pain goes away. So that's the problem that alcohol, for example, has got a lot of benefits from that angle. When you're in that survival situation, the alcohol is a, is a godsend because mm -hmm. it finally gives you that little bit of calm, of happiness, suddenly you laugh when there's absolutely no reason to laugh and those kind of things. So that's often what, what people keep forgetting. Why does he drink so much? Well, because of the trauma. Oh yeah, I had trauma too. But yeah, no, 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 no. There are, it is a fact. We, we all respond in very similar ways. Most of us have no clue about the trauma. And I love it the way you said that. There are so many times when you just acted or things happened to you, et cetera, uh, things actually moved within you as well as outside of you and without any clear conscience of what is actually going on. I loved it that you said the healing actually started much earlier than, than you thought. And that is, that is actually a very common kind of experience. For some of us, there is, there's one bang one crash one phase in the gutter where that is you can nail it down in others it's a it's a number of littler smaller little catastrophes that lead to one change but then people mm -hmm. actually say oh that's actually feels quite good and let's explore the next one mm -hmm. um it is it is beautiful to hear you you describing your journey at one stage, I wanted to interject and wanted to say, well, 
when you when you were talking about God and you said, then finally I see where God sort of let me and that all these things that had occurred to you um, were sort of lining up and getting you ready. I think what I want to say there is that if you talk to alcoholics or to, to people in mental illness, 95% of them at any one time will say, no, there's nothing wrong with me. They are not ready to see the opportunities. They are not ready to accept the help or accept the fact that they do need help. Um, so it is that is a, a lie that mental health or mental problems tell us and addiction tell us. They, no, the denial is all part and parcel of it. So yes. there might have been other opportunities prior in earlier in your life, but you simply were not ready to actually see them for what they were. And I That's think that is not there's there are, but then again, there was that one moment of clarity that allowed you to touch, touch, uh, touch that, that energy life wire that suddenly says, wow, that clarity that gives you the clarity, the serenity to say, okay. And of course, I believe, uh, I don't believe in God, but I certainly believe in universe and uh, law of attraction and things like that. So there is, there is something to be said about all that, because why would you suddenly come across that, that uh, your, your book coach, your writing coach, uh, why does that all suddenly come, come together? And, and yes, it is. Uh, once we start embracing the fact that connection with others leads sometimes not to pain but actually to such beautiful creativity of collaboration of 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 happiness uh it is that is actually normal whilst that life that you lived beforehand it just made me cringe so many times and you just have to say wow um and I didn't even touch on everything. There's a lot more in my book. And there's a lot that's not in my book because I just mm. didn't. Yeah. You know, it was important to me to write about the incidences. I wanted people to see and know how these incidences, what led up to them happening so other parents can be more aware with their own children. Mm. I don't talk about the details of the abuse because I just didn't want to do that. Um, so my book can actually be read by a teenager and maybe even someone as young as 10. I hate saying it, but it's true that even young kids as young as 10 years old are committing suicide, you know, and it's, it's wrong. Like you said, we need to, you know, talk about mental health more. One in five adults live with a mental illness. Uh, 50% of chronic mental illness starts before the age of 14. Mm. That is young. 75% by the age of 24. That is scary. That is so scary. And like I talk about physical health, 2 billion people globally suffer from micronutrient deficiency. That creates mental illness that supports having an illness. It does not help you in that way. And then 70% of Americans are either overweight or obese. So there's there's reasons why we have to focus on the mental health and our physical health. And like I mentioned before about the spirituality piece, I mean, Dr. Joe Rubino's research shows that 85% of the world's population are affected by low self-esteem. And that's 
why our soul needs to be healed. You know, there's so many, so much research out there that supports healing mentally, physically, and spiritually. And if you put all that together, I'm telling you, you will create positive life change in all areas of your life. It it's, it'll just happen for you. And it looks different for everybody because we're all, we all have different situations. We all live differently, different parts of the world. But the one thing that is universal across the board from every single human is that everybody has this innate ability, this innate power inside of them to self-heal. But you need the guidance. And mm -hmm. that is, that is why I, have this show that is why you have written your book because we have been in the darkness we have been we have been hurt and we were suffering and now we make sense of our suffering by writing things down and being open about it and i think that is the beautiful thing and that is that is where i invite you all of you listeners viewers out there to to learn how this opening up can be such a powerful, powerful motion. I'm lacking the words even to describe it. It is such a fundamental breakthrough when the first time you actually spell things out and, and trauma comes out of your mouth. And it is, it is powerful. It is a release valve is triggered. And things mm -hmm. are out. They're suddenly in the open. You feel no longer as ashamed, as as bad about it. You do no longer feel as 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 oh, you have to keep that secret. You don't have to anymore. It's out, and therefore there's this release. Ah, oh, I remember mm -hmm. when I when I started in 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 recovery in in rehab and I started actually talking about things. My God, they couldn't shut me up, and it was for the first week I sang like a canary. Um, it is it was the most beautiful feeling and then you got all the crap of your of your chest and what you got off your chest yes. was your version your version of things which is typically a bit tainted where you have absolutely no prop and no 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 role to play look what they did to me all that comes out mm -hmm. it's beautiful and then yeah. someone who want to be addicted if people, <laughs> if people are addicted i say you know what be addicted to your healing yeah, absolutely. You know? Exactly right. I don't believe, I, I know that they say there's chemical, this, that, and the other with addiction, but because of what I've gone through, I truly believe that um, we're not addicted to drugs and alcohol. We're addicted to escaping our reality. Therefore, let us be addicted to our self-healing. And that's exactly what happens, isn't it? It is actually that you have just rephrased recovery uh, being addicted to actually being a better person and by learning new skills uh, to address those pillars that mm -hmm. are you from the soul from the spirit from the creativity from the nutrition from the, the body movement all these are pillars of you being you and unfortunately your house starts sinking if you actually don't pay attention to all of them so it's all quite nice to read every self-help book and whilst you're eating Doritos and sitting on the couch, nah, eh, doesn't work. So therefore, however, uh, reading a self-help book such as Tiffany's and then actually uh, going out there and pondering the implications whilst you're having a good walk 
in nature and then coming home and actually say, no, I don't want to eat that shit. Um, mm. I tell you what, let's, why, why don't I, I get myself a salad or something like that? I don't have mm-hmm. salad, but I've got a little piece of dirt in the back. Well, why don't I actually get some salad seeds or even, you know, some garden shop and put some salad in there? So, A, you have done something. You've taken action. B, you have actually created something which is beautiful. C, you have been in nature, literally in nature, hands in soil, powerful shit. Um, And there you are. So by little things like that, suddenly you actually are, are creating your own destiny and that is beautiful absolutely beautiful tiffany i'm so grateful that you came onto my show this was an amazing show if people would like to find out more about you uh where can they go Um, you can visit tiffanypatlin.com and that's where you can learn about all the work that i'm doing and all the services that i offer and you can find my book on amazon Perfect. And look down there, guys, into the description of the podcast and of the YouTube show, because all the information is in there and the links that that guide you towards Tiffany's work. And it has been an amazing interview. Tiffany, thank you so much for your passion, for your efforts. And it just shows if, if Tiffany can get her shit together, if I can get my shit together, there is a real good chance for you out there, regardless how dark your current situation is there is a reason that you have come onto this channel to either listen to this interview or or watch it on on youtube there's a damn good reason and you know what you have taken the first step you have taken action you've taken action you found me you found us and you listen to us so please hear this passion in our voices this is true passion. This is not bullshit. This is not, mm-hmm. yes, okay, I've been drinking a bit of coffee. I gave you that. But that is not <laughs> coffee-induced high. That is life-induced high. I am high, high on life. And that yes. is a beautiful, that is a beautiful, beautiful place to be, okay? Guys, join mm-hmm. us. What have you got to lose? You know, whatever is happening now, make those little steps of action. Go. You can do that. And one of the first things is you go out there, have a look at Tiffany's uh, book. And once you're there, go out there, have a look at Steps to Sobriety. Because by the time this interview is aired, my second edition for my book, which is no longer as black, um, <laughs> it is uh, a bit more colorful equally. Our second edition has grown. So that's cool. That is there. Um, by the time this interview is aired, higher up there, that's S me, the mindful mouse. Uh, my first children's book that is trying to address how we talk about our, to our children and how how maybe we can bring mindfulness in at a time before shit hits the fan. Mm-hmm. It's so much easier to grow strong little people rather than repair broken man. So let's start early. So there's so many options for you guys out there. So uh, welcome to the journey. Uh, and and let's let's walk together on this path. It just so happens that Tiffany and me are a little bit further down the path than probably you are at the moment. But hey, take the steps that we we recommend. And by the time you blinked, you think, "Wow, who am I? What have I become?" And that is. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's yes. brilliant. Tiffany, thank you so much for coming on to my show. 
Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. This was such a good chat. Thank you. Uh, indeed. And you guys out there, look after yourself. Bye.